Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Okay, well, today is the first of the uh, month, first Sunday of the month, and uh, it's a time where the elders have chosen to uh, share their responsibility of, um, of teaching, and uh, so this morning is my turn, and then Jeff and Jerry and Mike and I kind of rotate um, through uh, teaching. Let me get my... So, so we're, we're studying First Timothy, and have, I've been enjoying this experience. I've learned a lot. I've taught First Timothy before, but again, you read and do it, read it again, and um, God shows you more and different things. So, uh, we're going to be reading out of, or studying 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through the end of the chapter. But uh, before we start, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this beautiful day. Thank you for the sunshine that's coming through the windows. Thank you for the reminder uh, just now of again, of what you've done to done for us. You've shed your blood and your body was broken for us so that we might become your children, be part of your family. Lord, help me as I bring your word here. Help me get out of the way and let your spirit work. Lord, help us to take this to heart and to be able to take away something from your word that we can work on this week so that we can be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the takeaway today is each one of us must be a personal example with a life radiating Christ as an example to those around us. Now, if you've got the notes out of the bulletin, I did not put it in there, but there is a space up at the top that you can write that out. Again, the takeaway is each one of us must be a personal example with a life radiating Christ as an example to those around us. So first, we're going to go and we're going to review a little bit of uh, the background here. So Paul is writing specifically to Timothy, but many of the, of the uh, Greek-based churches in the area will probably get this letter, will eventually get this letter, and it will be read aloud in the con- to the congregation. Um, and it's specifically to the Ephesian church and that area. So Timothy's assignment was to build the churches in Ephesus, removing false doctrine and training the leadership. Timothy started his journey to Christ at a very early age. And quite possibly when, and this is quite possibly when Paul first visited Lystra, 
he made some serious commitments to follow his Savior. And then somewhere between the ages of 16 and 22, Timothy joined Paul on his travels. And probably about the time uh, Paul visited Lystra on what is called the second missionary journey, that's when Timothy joined. And so he was only between the ages of 16 and 22. And I know some of you in here are at that age. Many of us are well beyond that age. And we'll be talking about that here shortly. So, um, Timothy learned from Paul, and eventually Paul sent Timothy as his representative to many groups, different churches um, in the Mediterranean region. Eventually, Timothy was sent to Ephesus to take care of issues of false doctrine that had seeped into the local churches and to select and train the leadership. So let's look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, do you remember a time when you did something really silly, unintelligent, or senseless? There are other words we could probably use, but I'm not going to use them here. Uh, during your teens and your 20s. Think back about that. Some of us did not learn from those, and we still continue to be immature into our 30s. Many of us are very glad that social media did not exist to immortalize those moments. So this, was not, this is not a new thing. This is not something recent. Even the Romans... Do not consider yourself, you're, you mature until you're around 40 years old. And they place great value on age and experience. So at this time, Timothy was about 30 years old. And so would have been considered young and immature. So he would have had an uphill battle to earn respect, especially in the role that he had in the churches in Ephesus. But Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Why is this? Paul actively discipled Timothy. In Acts 16, he specifically chose Timothy to go along with him on the journey. After Timothy had demonstrated maturity at around 20 years old. In fact, he was very active in his church and in the, even in the, within the leadership there. And he was highly regarded Timothy's identity was not in his physical age or in the cultural norms. It was in Christ. And even as a 20-year-old, he was well spoken of and actively serving and leading in the church in Lystra. A few years before sending Timothy to Ephesus on his own, Paul writes to the Ephesians this in Philippians 2, or writes to the Philippians in Philippians 2.22. You know Timothy's proven worth 
how, as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. So Paul is vouching for Timothy. Paul's active, discipling, teaching, and encouraging had matured Timothy. Paul had placed his full trust in Timothy to do the task that was set before him. But Paul also encouraged him to continue with his good reputation by being an example. Timothy was not to be worried about his young age, but to focus on being this example. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul pointed out five areas that Timothy needed to focus on. His speech, his conduct, how he loved others, his faith, and his purity. As Christians, we need to learn to be an example in these areas as well. So first of all, Timothy was told to be an example in his speech. This means pretty much whatever comes out of your mouth. I couldn't find any other, any other interpretation of this except what comes out of your mouth. It's, and it was very interesting that on the way here, I was actually listening to a podcast, a sermon about what comes out of your mouth, referring, and going through the uh, many, many proverbs about that. So maybe God's speaking to me about that today. So Jesus was very, also very serious about what comes out of one's mouth and what that implies. I believe this is very important for us to hear as Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the Pharisees, said to them in Matthew 12, 34 through 37, and I'll choose a few quotes out of there. Verse 34, he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then later on in, in verse uh, 36 and 37 of Matthew 12, it says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Romans 14.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will be giving an account for what we say. As Christians, we should be speaking the truth with no corrupt talk coming out of our mouths. We need to be building each other up with our speech. It should be full of grace. What is in the heart comes out of the mouth. The next thing on this list is conduct or manner of living. Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be an example in how he lives, his manner of life. The book of 1 Peter was written to many churches, and in chapter 1, verse 15, Peter tells us how Christians are called to conduct themselves. We are called by God who is holy. Because of this, we need to be holy in all of our conduct. Ephesians 4, starting verse 17, tells about our new life. And in verse 22, we are told to cast off our old self, which is our former manner of life. And we are renewed to a different manner of life. So much so that in 1 Peter 2.12, we see that our conduct will cause the evildoers to give, even give glory to God. 
because of our conduct, people that do evil will give glory to God. Some consider Titus as a manual on conduct, but particularly chapter 3 is a detail on how we should be living. And many of the epistles are full of discussion on how we need to be conducting ourselves. If someone spends time with you, do your actions and your way of living match that of a Christ follower? Our manner of life must be different. The third item on Paul's list to Timothy is the example of love. This love is the agape kind, the self-sacrificing kind. Christ was the ultimate demonstration of this love. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows or demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As children, as his children, and having Christ in us, we have the ability to strive towards this selfless love. John 15, 12 through 14 says this about love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And note that Christ did lay down his life for us. The two great commandments that Jesus gives in response to one of the scribes in, in Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31, are clear that we must love God and we must love our neighbor. And as we heard a few weeks ago from Jeff Fader in the story of the Good Samaritan, anyone we come into in, contact with should be considered our neighbor. Furthermore, we are called to love our enemies. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is hard. But that is the kind of love that God has and expects from us. Love is one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. And, and 1 Corinthians 13 gives specifics on what that love looks like. If we do not love those that are created in God's image, can we be called a Christian? As children of God, we are known by our love. The next we see that Timothy, the next we see that Timothy must be an example in his faith. Faith is trust, assurance, and confidence in God. It is our conviction or belief in God and knowing what he says is true. Because of this belief in God, we can go further in that faith is our dependence on Christ for salvation. And faith is rooted in our belief in the gospel. Hebrews 11 is full of people and their example of faith. But it opens the chapter with these three verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendations. But, but faith, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Take some time, read through 
Hebrews 11, and see who's on that list. Note that these people were not perfect, but they had placed their faith in God's promises. Matthew 9, 27 through 30 gives us an example of a couple of blind men. And and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. These blind men had faith in Christ. And if we back up to Matthew 8, 5 through 13, we even see that a Gentile centurion has faith in Jesus. His servant is paralyzed and suffering at home. Jesus said that he would come to his house to heal the servant. But the servant says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Can Christ say that about us? Paul tells Timothy that he must be living his life so that those around him see this type of faith, a full dependence and trust upon God and his work. We need to be living a life of this type of faith, a life in dependence and trusting in God, even when we do not understand or cannot see the conclusion of the promises that he has given. Okay, the last item on this list for, for Timothy, he must be pure. And of course, this is the one item that I really wish wasn't on the list. I mean, we've already talked about speech, conduct, love, faith. But then he has to put in purity. The Greek word used here as pure, purity is translated as a sinless life or moral purity. It has the same root as the word that is translated as holy, as in the Holy Spirit, or set apart for a specific purpose. Webster's definition for this word is freedom from guilt for the, or the defilement of sin, innocent as purity of heart or life. This was an area that Paul felt was very important in the life of Timothy as a leader. Yes, we are often sinful in our speech, conduct, how we love each other, and, how we, and, our, and we fail in faith. Paul talked about this already, but purity? This includes all the rest of the stuff. The things we do in private, and the stuff we think. Matthew 5, 21 through 45, Jesus comments that though there are laws against certain physical actions, on top of that, it is the thoughts that are also sinful or impure and will result in judgment. Our thought life and what we do behind closed doors are very important to our walk with God, but we all fall short. Romans 3.23 says that we all sin and fall short of God's glory. We have defiled ourselves, but we... But if we continue into verse 24 of Romans 3, we as Christians are declared righteous 
or right before God. How is this possible? Through the sacrifice of Jesus, who was and is totally righteous, he took our place. However, we still need to strive to be Christ-like and pure. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We need to continually, to stri- continually strive to live a life of purity that is hard to do on our own, but we have Christ. We are new creations. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit will help us. Galatians 5, 16, 25 says that if we walk by the Spirit with the big S, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh, Not only that, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in verse 24 it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We can overcome impurity in our lives by belonging to Christ and walking in the Holy Spirit. So Paul has encouraged Timothy to be an example in his personal life and daily interactions. And that will be, speak louder than his age and show that he is mature to handle the task that Paul has sent him to do, which is reiterated in the next verse. So now, if we look at that verse, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Now, in Timothy's public ministry, he is to devote himself to that task, to be paying attention, to constantly practicing, making it a way of life. What is that task? It says here the public reading of Scripture to exhortation and to teaching. So first, Timothy must be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. We all should be in God's Word as Christ followers. How else can we be a disciple except to be in God's Word and studying and meditating on it? But this is different. It is public and in front of people. Timothy is to be an example to the elders of the local church. A part of their worship together must be opening scripture and reading the inspired words of God. This should be a reminder to us elders that this must be a regular part of our worship and a reminder to the church that we need to keep the elders accountable to do this in our worship time together. In Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8, we see an example of all the people gathering together for the reading of the word and followed by teaching of the the teaching of the Levites, so that the people could understand what it meant. Jesus himself did this as well in Luke 4, 16 through 27. Jesus read from Isaiah. Then he expounded on it, or gave an exposition of the passage. The next two items are part of that exposition process. So we see here the exhortation part of that. Timothy was to read the scripture and then help apply it to the reader's or to the hearers. 
The word exhort is a loaded word. The idea is to bring close or make it personal. It is to challenge them and persuade them to make a change based upon the scripture. This process could, in, could include things like warnings, rebukings, encouraging, encouragements, and comforting. And then the process of, the process of ex- exhorting is to encourage a change. And then we see that Timothy is also to focus on the task of teaching. The word teach refers to systematic or step-by-step instruction. And is, in this context, focus would be on the doctrines of faith. Now, why do I say that? Well, the word translated here as teach is often translated as doctrine and even used in 1 Timothy 1, verse 10, and chapter 4, verse 6, so a few verses um, prior to what we're reading here. This word is used as doctrine. So we have already seen that Timothy was sent to Ephesus to deal with doctrinal issues. And Paul is telling Timothy that teaching, teaching must focus on public worship to combat that false doctrine. The elders need to be actively reading Scripture and using it to exhort and teach so that we can be changing to be more like Christ and be steeped in sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, or breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As a church, we need to hold our elders accountable to be reading scripture, exhorting, and teaching it. And then then Timothy was to persevere in these priorities, these priorities of his personal example and his public ministry. Paul puts out a little history Pulls out a little history out of his pocket about Timothy. And maybe even Paul was even in Lystra when this happened. In verse 14, Paul tells Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. He knew Timothy well enough that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Timothy had a special gift. This verse does not explicitly say what it is, but I believe that previous verses and Timothy's mission radiates this gift. It is clear to me that Timothy had a gift of teaching and exhortation. Paul opens up this letter by telling Timothy to instruct. The verse we just looked at is telling Timothy to teach and exhort. Even verse 11 of this chapter says, command and teach these things. And many times throughout this book, we see this theme. Paul is exhorting Timothy that he must use his gift. There was a prophecy of this gift when he was young. You ever see a youngster and, and how they interact with others and think, wow, that kid's going to be a leader. Or that kid's going to grow up and serve with, because of his servant heart. The same may have happened here. Timothy was also very involved in the local church. And this may have been a situation where there were certain attributes seen in Timothy and the church prepared him for his mission. 
based on this verse, someone prophesied or predicted Timothy's gift. And the church helped him develop this, and ultimately the elders commissioned him with that gift to teach and exhort. It is possible at that time that the Holy Spirit empowered Timothy to do what he's doing now at that time of laying on of hands. In verse 15, I do not think that I can do much more than repeat it. Paul says to Timothy, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. What things? Well, an upright character and his public teaching and exhortation of Scripture. What happens when you immerse yourself in a tub or a pool? Water is all around you. Timothy was to be immersed in this. It is to be all around him in all that he does so that others will see it. They cannot avoid seeing the change in Timothy's continual growth and maturity. From his life, those in the church could not look down on him as being immature. Paul closes this section on Timothy's role as minister and teacher with an exhortation in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will serve both, save both yourself and your hearers. All of Paul's exhortations in verses 6 through 15 can be summed up into personal example and public ministry or teaching. And here Paul tells Timothy, again, to watch or pay attention to these two areas. Keep going, persevere in these things. Why? Because you will be saved in those, and those that hear. This phrase encompasses salvation in the doctrine of justification or past salvation, a moment of realization where you need Christ. Sanctification, sanctification which is the ongoing process of salvation as we grow and be more like Christ, and ultimately glorification, where we will be free from sin in the future. As 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that we are, going to, are being saved by being more conformed to the image of Christ. And John 8.31 tells us, tells us the Jews that if they continue in his word, they are truly his disciples. They are truly Christians. I think that Romans 10.14 goes well here with the importance of Timothy's public ministry. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we as elders need to be preaching the word of God. Finally, each one of us is a personal example with a life that should be radiating Christ and being an example to those around us. We all should be an example in our speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. For those of us that have opportunity for a public ministry, we need to be accountable to you that we are reading, teaching, and exhorting from the Word of God. And we cannot do this apart from Christ. We need to put our dependence upon him to help us be an example and grow in these areas. Let's pray.
If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.